Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features the mystery short story, Thrilled No More, written by Chuck Brownman. It's read by local actor Theodore Fox. Thrilled No More was the winner of the 2017 Arizona Mystery Writers Jim Martin Memorial Adult Short Story Contest. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. The buzz of the doorbell sliced through the silence like an assassin's stiletto. Albert Coach jerked alert. Deeply engrossed in a riveting scene of Ken Follett's Eye of the Needle, he'd felt the wind sweeping across the cliff high above Storm Island, imagining the thrill of battling a Nazi spy intent on revealing the D-Day plans. The persistent buzzing brought him back to reality, to the small central New Jersey port town of Bells Harbor, to the compact living room in what had been his father's home, to the algebra quizzes he should be grading. Smacking the book down, he pushed himself out of the lounger and walked to the door. Odd, someone ringing the bell so late on a Saturday, especially since the last time anyone had come by was months ago, after Pop's funeral. His visitor was a stocky man. Wearing a thick overcoat and Hamburg to ward off the March chill, he looked like a character from a 1940s spy movie. His broad forehead and dark eyes reminded Albert of Charles Bouillet an old-time French actor. Behind him stood a taller man, impassive and solid as a concrete wall. You are Franklin Coltsan? the man asked, his soft voice obscuring his accent. Albert's first reaction was to adopt a belligerent who's asking tone. His second option was a more suave James Bond attitude. Instead, in his own reedy voice, he merely acknowledged who he was. And you are? Pardon my lack of manner. I am Linkov. I had business with your father before his untimely passing. May I have a moment of your time? Albert glanced behind him. He didn't want company. The living room was a collection of dirty dishes and cardboard boxes. Since moving into Pop's house, Albert had spent his time watching old movies and rereading spy novels. As Albert hesitated, Lenkov moved surprisingly nimbly into the open doorway and stood inches away, his pungent cologne assaulting Albert's nose. Albert retreated. Lenkov and the larger man advanced. Lenkov settled into a club chair. Permit me to express condolences, but my objective is the recovery of an item your father possessed. It belongs to me. That's odd. What is it? Lenkov's lips pursed, and he tapped his fingers together. A small maroon notebook containing columns of numbers. I haven't run into anything like that, but as you can see, he gestured around the room. I'm still getting settled. If you leave your contact information, I'll let you know if I find it. Your courtesy is most appreciated, but do not trouble yourself. Lenkov stood. I shall contact you. Before reaching the door, Lenkov paused, looking around. Such lovely belongings. It would be unfortunate if anything happened to them. Good evening. 
Despite Lenkoff's courteous words, a slight chill descended on Albert as he peered through the curtains, watching the pair as they walked towards a black SUV parked in front of the house. Lenkoff spoke to his muscular companion, who nodded. Even after they drove off, Albert's unease remained. Questions swirled in his mind. One thing was certain. Lenkoff was up to no good. Early Sunday afternoon, arms full of grocery bags, Albert entered from the garage, almost calling out, Hi, Pop! He couldn't quite accept that his father was gone. Then he halted. The messy living room was now a full-blown disaster. Drawers dumped, sofa cushions ripped and strewn, bric-a-brac shattered, pictures yanked off the walls. Worst of all, books tossed everywhere. Someone had searched the house, probably Lenkoff or his men. But whoever it was, they wanted Albert to know they'd been there. Uniformed officers responded quickly to Albert's 911 call, one of the few benefits of living in a small community. After verifying the intruders were gone, the cops listened as Albert told them about Lenkoff. From the glances they exchanged, it was clear they thought Albert was an excitable nutcase with an overactive imagination. But they took a report vaguely assuring that detectives would contact him. Walking them out, Albert saw Pop's neighbors clustered around, straining to see what the excitement was. Even Miss Greenberg, the aloof loner whose husband was down with the flu, ventured out. He waved to her, scowling. She retreated into her house. Back inside, Albert appraised the wreckage, feeling conflicting emotions. Lenkoff's appearance, the veiled threat, it was like starring in his own spy thriller except that novel skipped over the tedious parts where someone cleaned up. After hours of throwing out broken pieces and putting the furniture back in some semblance of order, Albert straightened and stretched. His lower back howled in protest, a consequence of his perpetual lack of exercise. Turning his attention to the bookshelves, he decided now was a good time to attack a long overdue job, removing his books from the boxes, combining them with pops, then arranging the books alphabetically by subgenre. Placing his own books among Pop's collection, a thought hit him. It's all my collection now. He caressed the spines, each book holding a memory. To other kids, he'd been Fat Albert, but not to his father. Going to Fuzzy's used books, buying thrillers, debating each book's strengths and weaknesses had let him feel important, someone other than the overweight kid who was everyone's target. Besides best-selling authors, Pop's books included lesser-known novelists such as Terry Collins, who'd written his favorite, The Spymaster's Apprentice, an entertaining Cold War novel about the hunt for a secret formula that could change the course of history. On the shelves sat two lifetimes of spies, double-crosses, moles, chase scenes, satisfying endings. If only books held the answers to his questions about Lenkov. After emptying the books, he realized that other books of Pops were in the study, but he was tired, sore, and hungry. Those would have to wait for some other time. Chewing absentmindedly on a dinner of baked chicken and green beans, he continued puzzling over how Pop and Lenkoff could have met. Pop worked as an independent bookkeeper for a small business. Boring, steady work that provided food and shelter for his motherless son, while Lenkoff was what? Dangerous. A threatening and sinister shadow, maybe a foreign agent. 
someone Pop wouldn't cross paths with. Lenkov's list of numbers was probably some sort of code, but meaning what? Amounts of money or bank accounts would be consistent with Pop's business, but Pop was straighter than the straightest of arrows. Unless he saw indisputable proof, Albert would never believe Pop had been involved in stolen funds, money laundering, or anything illegal. A list of names? Locations of something? That made no sense either. Nothing exciting happened in Bell's Harbor. Every other town along the Jersey Shore had built a boardwalk with games, rides, tantalizing foods, a beach. But not this town. Instead, they let the Coast Guard install a base that looked as appealing as a gas across the shoreline. And word was the base might expand, making the town that much more boring. Speculating on what the list might be was a waste of time. He'd never solve that puzzle without the list itself. But having the list could well make him a target with a seriously declining life expectancy. Best for now to leave it wherever it was. Instead, figuring out where and when Pop's routine-ridden life could have intersected with Lenkov, or how Pop ended up with the list, might yield some answers. He pushed the food around his plate, recalling how vulnerable Pop had looked following his first heart attack. That's what prompted Albert to move back. As Pop regained his strength, they talked almost daily and he seemed like his old self. Albert was sure Pop and Lenkov hadn't yet met. So it had to have been recent. And that made sense. As anxious as Lenkov was to retrieve the list, he wouldn't have waited. His plate now empty, the only reasonable theory he could think of was a client had given his father Lenkov's numbers, most likely shortly before Pop died. Having experienced firsthand Lenkov's methods, he was convinced that if Lenkov contacted that client, he or she would have suffered some significant event, like a robbery, injury, or death, and Pop would have known about it. Albert checked his watch. Not too late. He called Bob Weldon, the guy who had taken over Pop's practice, and asked if he could come by tomorrow after school. Mr. Weldon sounded perplexed, but agreed. After finishing classes, Albert drove downtown. He kept looking in his rearview mirror to make sure he wasn't followed, but saw nothing as usual. He parked in the lot around the corner of Pop's office and walked down Main, stopping to notice how faded everything seemed, like an old photograph. As a kid, he'd walked the same block, thinking how his father's office was in the middle of everything, sharing a building with the insurance agent's office and sitting across the street from a large hardware store and clothing boutique. On the next block sat the YMCA, the library, and town hall. What he saw now? Closed storefronts? Empty streets? Reminded him how determined he'd been to leave. Now, seeing someone else sitting at Pop's scarred desk, a lump formed in his throat. In answer to Albert's questions, Mr. Whedon said only two clients had experienced that kind of recent loss. Paulson's Bakery was robbed two weeks ago, and a week earlier, Old Man Simmons owner of Simmons Realty, had suffered a fatal car accident. Albert couldn't see either one being involved with Lenkov. Albert exited the office, retracing his earlier route. He turned into the parking lot and froze. Beside his car stood Lenkov's beefy associate, and to his left stood the shadowy man himself. Albert's mouth filled with cotton. How did they find me? Lenkov beckoned him to approach. Every instinct said run, but to where? Certainly they wouldn't have pulled anything downtown, in broad daylight. He walked forward cautiously. 
Linkoff stepped toward him, then draped an arm around his shoulder as if they were best friends. He spoke in a whisper, forcing Albert to lean closer. You are not making sufficient progress on the search for my item. Make this a priority. Albert's back exploded in pain as the big guy's fist struck. Air whooshed from his lungs, his knees buckled, and he wanted to vomit. He pitched forward, but thick, strong hands grabbed his collar. Take heed, Lenkoff said, and to make haste. Albert entered the kitchen, pain spiking each time he inhaled. Popping a beer, he leaned his elbows gingerly against the counter. This is like an unsolvable algebra problem. Too many unknowns. He felt like a guppy surrounded by piranhas. Too jumpy to sit, he decided to occupy himself by finishing the task he started yesterday, moving the rest of Pop's books from the study into the living room. Grabbing a handful, he noticed one stuff behind the others, a second copy of The Spymaster's Apprentice. Unlike Pop, even for his favorite, Albert carried it into the living room to compare both copies. Same covers, same text, same title page. Wait. Something written faintly in pencil. Albert tilted the book one way, then another. Albert, for my birthday. He stared at the writing. Could it be a clue? One that only he would understand? Pop's birthday, May 21st, 1943. 5-21-1943. A common key code, like spies used pre-computers pulse pounding. Albert turned to page five. Nothing. Each of the other pages, again, nothing. This wasn't so easy, but it felt right. What was he missing? He returned to the words written on the title page. For my birthday. Of course, a double clue. The word four meant adding four to each number. So the page numbers to look at became 9, 25, 23, and 47. Sure enough, each of those pages contained two underlined words. The message said, Safe House List Local Book Store Package Held. Albert's jaw dropped. Safe Houses. In Bell's Harbor. Maybe connected somehow to the Coast Guard base? Thinking back to his conversation with Mr. Weldon, old man Simmons must have somehow obtained the list through his realty business, then passed it to Albert's father for safekeeping. And when Mr. Simmons died in the car wreck, Pops would have suspected foul play. So he'd hidden the list someplace he thought safe, the used bookstore. Reaching for the phone, Albert hesitated. Maybe they bugged it. The ransacking would have provided perfect cover for Lenkoff doing that, and it would explain how they knew Albert would be at Pop's office today. In the bathroom, after turning on the water, he called Fuzzy's used books on his cell. They were holding a package for him. He said not to give it to anyone else, but Albert still had a problem. He didn't know whose safe houses these were. But either way, giving Lenkoff the list meant helping a likely foreign agent, probably endangering lives. Albert wasn't a good enough liar to con a professional, and a fake list wouldn't fool Lenkov for long. And without proof, the cops would think he was crazy. 
The only way to get rid of Lenkov permanently was to get him out in the open, force him into making a mistake. That meant leading him to the list, and that meant putting someone in danger. Two hours later, Albert crossed the street, handing a shocked Miss Greenberg a paper bag containing chicken soup for her flu-suffering husband. He returned home, waited a few moments, then dialed Miss Greenberg. I wanted to thank you again for holding my package. Remember, don't give it to anyone else. He hung up before she could ask if he was crazy. He pulled out of the garage and circled his neighborhood to confirm no one followed. After parking on the next street, Albert snuck back in, crawled to the front window, and peeked out. Within minutes, the black SUV stopped in front of the Greenberg's house. Lenkoff emerged, smiling, and headed to their door. The muscular guy stayed on the porch. Quickly, Albert dialed 911 and reported his neighbor being assaulted. Lenkoff hadn't been inside for long when the Bells Harbor cops squealed to a stop. The muscular associate pulled a gun, then fell under a fusillade of police bullets. The cops led Lenkoff away in handcuffs. Once they identified him, he'd either be jailed or deported. Albert retrieved Pop's package, a stack of their favorite thrillers. Tucked inside one of the books was the list, which he turned over to the authorities. After much thought, he donated most of his and Pop's spy novels to the library, keeping a few for sentimental reasons. He didn't need them any longer. He lived through one. He'd always have his memories of Pop, but now it was time to move on. This reading of Thrilled No More was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even a dollar a month can make a difference, and we could really use your support. Watch for even more great perks coming soon for our patrons. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble, Check the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. If you enjoy this episode, please rate or review it as this helps make us easier for others to find. And be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.